The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. It is the Palpably Unfair Podcast brought to you by the SB Nation NFL Show. I am your host, Michael Kist, and with me, as always, he's the film expert you don't want, but he's the film expert that you need. He's Kyle Posey. Follow him on Twitter at KP underscore show. Kyle, how you doing, brother? I'm doing great. Football's going well. Nothing to complain about. The NFL, (laughs) you know, such a great sport. I'm loving it. (laughs) Yeah, we're all looking forward to football season, man. We'll call back to last show. Uh, Before we get started, uh, just a a quick favor to ask you, gentle listener. If you are enjoying what we got going on here at the SB Nation NFL show, do us a solid. Go to Apple Podcasts, leave five stars and a written review. What you write doesn't matter. Say say what you want or just say that you're following orders. Be creative. It, It really helps with the way that their dumb algorithm ranks us and discovery and all that stuff. It helps us get noticed as we continue to try to build this thing, which thanks to you, has been a success so far, and we'd love to keep bringing you this content. So let's get into the content. Before we get into the film stuff, which typically this show is a film review type show, there is some news to handle as we move through the week here. As we record, it was literally just announced that Le'Veon Bell has been released by the New York Jets. The two-time All-Pro has 3.3 yards per carry since 2017, and his fractured relationship with Adam Gase has been heavily publicized. Uh, $17 million in dead cap to cut him. Apparently, no team was interested in taking taking on that contract, and I really can't blame him. I still think he's got some talent, but it was always going to be hard for him to showcase it behind that offensive line and in that offense. So we'll see where he goes, but for now... Joe Douglas, the new general manager there, makes a move to get a bad deal off the books that he didn't make to begin with so the team can move forward. Let's hope for the sake of the Jets fans that they do the same with Adam Gase very, very soon. Kyle, any thoughts on this uh, news with Le'Veon? I think the real question we should be asking is why Adam Gase still has a job. True. Dan Quinn's gone, right? Bill O'Brien's gone. So all the people that we were saying you need to go are, are going, the obvious choices. The only one that's left is Adam Gase. The only way this makes sense is if they are really, really tanking for Trevor. And they're just like, Adam's not going to win a game, man. Keep him. Let's restart next year. But he is alienating all of his players, and I think that's an issue. He must, His ego must be out of control, like out of this world to think, hey, I don't need any good players to succeed. But his results are not happening. Like He's not getting any sort of results. But as far as Bell goes, I imagine he just takes his time, kind of figures out, who is going to win, who is doing well, and then he picks that team. So I, yeah. I think he's going to come back, and he'll probably play pretty well for whoever he plays for. 
Um, do you think he ends up with a playoff team? Yeah, I think he does too. I mean, he took off the whole 2018 season and kind of like healed up his body and everything like that. Like, it doesn't seem much of an incentive for him to come into a team right now rather than go to a playoff team that's contending. If, if they need some running back depth to go there and go win some games and get your payday and then see what happens from there. So I could see him totally just saying goodbye to the next two months and then reappearing out of, out of nowhere. He started the season a little bit banged up with the hamstring and everything like that. So get fully healed up, come back, come play, come play for a playoff team and then, you know, start to get some goodwill built to uh, towards your name, you know? Yeah, it'll be it'll be fun to see where he ends up because I do think he has talent and he if he'd be smart to just go behind a team that has, you know, a top tier offensive line and by November, by December, there's going to be running backs banged up. So he'll have some options. So as we are, are recording this, we'll move on from the Lev Bell news. We'll let you know that we are recording during the Tennessee Titans Buffalo Bills Tuesday night showdown. Right now it is 28 to 10 Titans who are dominating this game. However, we are into around the middle fourth quarter. The Bills are driving in the red zone. We will update this, you know, later on in the show. But right now, Ryan Tannehill looked like the whitest person ever with his celebration. I don't know if you saw the finger roll jump thing where he almost blew his knee out. Uh, some other notes, Josh Allen, for at least up to now, kind of looked like a mix of the 2018-2019 Josh Allen. Definitely not the 2020 Josh Allen, that's for sure. Uh, Jonu Smith is a stud for the Titans. Uh, the Bills' defense continues to be a bit of a concern, though three scoring drives that started inside their own 30 didn't leave them much of a chance, so they really weren't helped out in that regard. But have you been watching this, Kyle, at all? We, we haven't even talked about it yet. Yeah, I've been going back and forth between this and the Braves, who are going to win the World Series. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a good point on Josh Allen. The Josh Allen roller coaster, this, this is kind of who he's been. He has given teams opportunities to make plays. They really haven't made them, but he's just fun to watch. I don't yeah. know if – that's just the best way to describe him because he has these throws where he's rolling out. He's thrown all the way across his body. He's extending plays. But as I said, defenses really haven't taken advantage when he's given them opportunities and the Titans have. And like the first interception really wasn't his fault. Like it was, a, it was an inaccurate throw. It was behind his receiver working away from his momentum and it, and it got tipped up and it's unfortunate that with an interception still inaccurate, but not necessarily a turnover worthy throw. The second interception where I think he was going for like a cover two, like turkey hole shot or something like that, or he just kind of short arms it. It falls really flat and uh, Malcolm Butler picks it off and the Titans end up getting seven off of that. So that's kind of how the Titans built this uh, big lead that the Bills are currently working against. But we can touch on that at the end of the show. We might as well get into the meat and potatoes while that game uh, continues on on our television. So every week, you know, on this show, this film review show, I rank my top three quarterback performances of the week. Today is no different. So let's get involved with some spicy QB action. Uh, for my number one quarterback performance of the week, uh, Kyle, did you see... The Dolphins game. Uh, who they play? I forgot. <laughs> I believe they played the San Francisco 49ers, who is the team that you are so fortunate to cover right now in these tumultuous times. Uh, look, I, I pigeonholed Ryan Fitzpatrick onto this list not too long ago, but this time I think he really deserves it. And Kyle, you can uh, agree with me or disagree, but 22 for 28, 350 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions, 12.5 yards per attempt. This was not dink and duck stuff, man. And super accurate with his guys making plays for him, too. We've cited CPOE before or completion percentage over expectation by next-gen stats. Fitzpatrick was plus 13.3% on the day leading the Week 5 slate. And I don't know about you, Kyle, but I I've seen a lot of Fitzpatrick. 
and part of why that is is because he torched the Eagles in two consecutive years while with the Bucks and Dolphins doing the same thing that he did to the 49ers. And I know that Fitzpatrick is such a hot hand type of guy that if he comes out and on the first play of the game, as he did here, he sees one-on-one on the outside with a single high safety in the middle of the field, we know he's taking that shot. And that's the beauty and the horror of Fitz, right? Pre-snap picture, Fitz is great at identifying the matchup. If the picture of the defense gives him changes after the snap, he goes from like Harvard smart to like the guy that dropped out of DeVry University. <laughs> However, the 49ers were banged up at quarterback, so they couldn't really do a whole lot to challenge him mentally. But again, he comes out first play. He sees that throw, throws up the equivalent of a heat check rainbow bomb to the sideline to Preston Williams. Preston Williams rewards him by winning that on a 47-yard gain. Like there is zero chance you're stopping Fitz for the rest of the day at that point. Or he's throwing four picks. Who knows? Because he gets out of pocket real quick. But either way, he's going to let it rip for the entire game. And when he's hot, it is so damn fun to watch. Unless, of course, you're Kyle. And Kyle, my main question to you, and I'm going to timestamp some throws for the listeners. I put them up on the on Twitter already. But Brian, Brian Allen, right? This was his sequence of events. He got picked on real hard. First quarter, 1337, 47-yard shot to Preston Williams to the left against Brian Allen. First quarter, 728. 28-yard shot to Devontae Parker to the right. Brian Allen in coverage. Second quarter, 10-39, 19-yard back shoulder fade to Preston Williams on the left sideline. Brian Allen again. Second quarter, 9-25, defensive pass interference by Brian Allen on a shot play to Preston Williams on the right sideline. Second quarter, 7-35, 22-yard touchdown to Devontae Parker on the left sideline. Again, Brian Allen in coverage. Essentially, Fitzpatrick was playing Where's Waldo with Brian Allen. And the man could not escape. And I honestly wanted to reach for the film and give the man a hug. What the hell happened there, Kyle? Yeah, I felt bad for him. So the 49ers are down to their six-turn cornerback. And they called up Allen the day before the game. To simplify things, they entered the game playing two-man coverage. And instead of having a safety over the top to help out their practice squad corner, they had a safety over the top to help out Jason Verrett. And as you could imagine, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Ivy League smart guy, uh, took advantage. <laughs> Real big brain to figure that out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> took advantage of that. Like there's no he's he's in press coverage with essentially the entire field, the entire half of the field against Devontae freaking Parker or Preston Williams, who's a good receiver. Yeah. And he's Monsters. losing on these routes within one to two steps. And you have to give Fitzpatrick credit because he he did black out and he is making some big time throws. He had one throw where he got hit. He just got hammered on a cover two throw through the post, anticipated it. You really like to see that. But Allen didn't stand much of a chance. His coaches didn't really put him in a position to succeed. But, I mean, I imagine that is going to be the last time we see Allen in an NFL uniform. So what is the situation with the 49ers cornerback room? Because I'm going to stick there for a second. Uh, Akello Weatherspoon was healthy but was not playing to start the game, but then ended up playing 41 snaps after, uh, I believe, the Dolphins went up 21-7, to if I'm not mistaken. I know they're banged up as well. What does that cornerback room look like moving forward? So Richard Sherman was supposed to return this coming Sunday against the Rams, but he had a setback, so he's going to probably be out another couple weeks. Emmanuel Mosley, who also entered the season as a starter, has been in the concussion protocol for two and a half weeks. Shanahan said he's optimistic that he will return against the Rams. Witherspoon, yeah, was supposed to be the emergency cornerback, and they rolled with the practice squad guy instead. So if you are healthy enough to play, he was active, you would think that he would at least try to play to start the game. And if he can't go, then he can't go. Pull him. But yeah, pulling him after <laughs> after Allen was just getting torched. like And to those num- those uh, throws that you referenced, 
he's not anywhere like he's not within arm distance of the receiver at any time like yeah. he's not finding the ball the very last throw that you reference was third and goal from the 22 yard line and he's in press coverage like <laughs> what else do you need to know press yep. coverage with no safety help after you've been burnt all game yeah he, did, he didn't give himself much of a chance either he just didn't find the ball at all right these are kind of like technically contested catches i guess but he had no chance at making a play on those in the air like he's just kind of in the area and, and look whenever i see and i saw another play that went over a guy with the number 47 i believe brian allen was wearing 48 when you're playing two guys at cornerback they were 47 and 48 you're gonna have some problems it's just that's just the rules this hashtag jersey number analytics you should not be on the field if you are wearing number 40 on that play specifically jamar taylor looked like a little leaguer catching a yes. pop fly that had no idea where the ball was no idea how to track the ball just got turned around. It was ugly. You know exactly what play I'm talking about, too. Yeah. Unless you're Marlon Humphrey, the 40s just do not work, which is crazy that it were. He's the outlier. Say, so, you know what? We might as well keep it with this game. So I'll break the, the order here a little bit because Jimmy Garoppolo, come on down. You are the next contestant on Do You Have a Quarterback? Seven for 17, 77 yards, two bad interceptions. Looked like he was short arming them because uh, pressure. And uh, one dies in front and another one floats on him. Kyle Shanahan had seed enough from his returning starter. C.J. Beathard comes in and doesn't do a whole lot better. And look, Kyle, uh, the Dolphins' defense looked really well coached in this one. But they were also the 31st-ranked DVOA defense heading into it. So I'll ask you, Kyle, did you see the Dolphins game? Here's how I want to describe Jimmy Garoppolo's performance. Oh, right. oh, oh. Now, yeah, we can't say that. We can't say that on the podcast, Kyle. It was, so a lot of the fans wanted to blame what he did on his ankle injury, but you watch the game. It yeah. did not look like a player that was suffering from an ankle injury. It looked like a player that had no interest in standing in the pocket. It looked like a player that made poor decisions by throwing the ball across his body. It looked like a player that does not know how to have his feet and his eyes married together when throwing to a target. And that just greatly affects his accuracy. Garoppolo has played like this for a lot of games in their big games. And what teams do when they run bare fronts, when they run these 6-1 fronts, they're going to force the receivers to win outside. And Garoppolo has shown that he is not going to be a guy that can consistently throw receivers open. So it's going to be a long season for the 49ers because they're going to have defenses play them like this. And it's it's just not pretty. Big news there in San Fran. We'll see if uh, Jimmy G can get back out of the doghouse. But he is my dud for the week. So I, I wasted that early. Let's let's go to the uh, number two quarterback performance of the week. This is this is a good one. Derek Carr. So I spoke about Carr's day on Monday Football Monday, so I won't dive too deep into this. But anytime you win a boat race against the Kansas City Chiefs, you're going to have a shot to be on the list. Uh, 374 yards on the day, completed over 70% of his passes, three touchdowns, one interception was bad. He overthrew the uh, deep over route on a burner concept. That happened early in the game, and he bounced back quick, which bonus points for that. In fact, the very next drive, he threw a 59-yarder to Nelson Aguilar on basically the same concept where he threw the post Instead of the over, Nelson Aguilar somehow, after last year of just not being able to find the ball, can track a deep ball now, which is great for the Raiders. Really happy for him. Uh, on passes over 20 yards, Carr went four for six, 219 yards, two touchdowns. And this is a total reversal for them in terms of aggressiveness. In fact, it was one of the concerns that I had when they drafted Henry Ruggs, and it wasn't because of Ruggs, who I loved. It was because Carr has not been pushing the ball down the field, and they were going to put him with a shrinking violet checkdown guy. And things changed in this one. Two big catches for Ruggs, the 72-yard touchdown where he does a nice job with his, his initial stem, taking it outside versus outside leverage, and also away from the safety before bringing it back inside, wide open. And the other one, 
the 46 yarder where he does the same, but this time the ball's a little underthrown. Safety gets over, but Ruggs is able to haul in a contested catch. And you really didn't get to see Ruggs in those contested catch situations in 2019 when you watched his film. But in 2018 at Alabama, he had some really good examples of winning those at the catch point, And he showed the ability off here. But again, this is about Carr blossoming into a deep shot king. Uh, Kyle, I call this a like Pandora's box for them. I have zero confidence that like this mentality sticks. But it has to be enticing for the Raiders knowing that the Chiefs are in their division, to see the results that they can get when they're aggressive, and how can they go back to the dink-a-dunk style that, they, that they've had before? Like, this should be a moment of clarity for them, right? Absolutely. And you would think that Carr, this should be a giant confidence booster. Just for the fact that as a coach, as his play caller, you can look at these throws and see that he's even looking down the field. Forget the success that he had. He's actually looking to throw the ball down the field. So three for three, 172 yards, two touchdowns over the middle of the field, over 20 yards. That's mm. great. I love also love the fact that he gave uh, Ruggs an opportunity in that contested situation. So I, that's also a good point that you brought up about Ruggs. He's a contested guy. And that was one of, for whatever reason, people thought that he was only a speed guy coming out. But he's like a tough dude. Like he fights, he competes for the ball, goes to get it at his highest point. And you saw that on that 46-yarder. So I think it's great for the Raiders. And, I mean, if you're Gruden, throw the ball down the field. It's almost like you have weapons to do so. Yeah, such a weird team to predict moving forward. You hope that mentality sticks just because it's it's a lot more entertaining to watch than, than what they were. Let's go to number three on my list. I'm going to go with Justin Herbert of the Chargers. This dude looked like the most accurate quarterback on the planet for about a half of football there. And the, the second half wasn't all that bad either. And I haven't gone back to watch the film yet as we record this here Tuesday night and the game was Monday. But I got to tell you, I had doubts about Justin Herbert and, and not about his tools. I thought his tools were elite. More about his ability to read down the teeth of defenses in the intermediate areas because he didn't have to do it at Oregon. But he's checking boxes every week. I, I am smitten with the way he's slinging around the yard right now. Now, things, like I mentioned, did bog down a little bit in the second half. And yeah, it's a loss. But the, the Chargers are going to charge her no matter what. That's kind of like how life works. Uh, special shout out to Mike Williams, the wide receiver. Uh, number one, nice design on the 64-yard touchdown. Patrick Robinson was eyeing the potential out from Hunter Henry uh, that they ran earlier in a similar situation. Williams flies right by. Uh, the best play by him was obviously the third and one with 15 seconds left in the fourth, elevating over two guys, one of them being Marshawn Lattimore. Uh, stopped short in OT on fourth down, but the dude had a game, and they wouldn't have been in that situation if the Chargers just could have kicked a game-winning field goal without something bizarre happening, but it is the Chargers. And look, I know the Chargers didn't really live up to the hype in 2018, 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015, 16, 17, 18, 19, and now 2020, but I am ready to risk it all and buy the hype around them in 2021. Why not, man? They're, they're due, right, Kyle? How do you watch Herbert and come away with a take that arm strength doesn't matter? Right. Because True. he has a rocket. That ball slices through the air. The one play, I don't know if it was a two-point conversion or if it was a touchdown near the end zone, where he is on the right hash, waits for Williams to get over, and he's in a condensed split, but he Ooh. waits for Williams to clear the other hash and still throws him open where it's almost on the opposite sideline. Like that was an impressive throw to me. Yeah, Herbert is a lot of fun. Um, I know he was getting crushed by the offensive line, 
But I also don't think that you take the ball out of his hands. They started checking the ball down and throwing a bunch of screens and stuff. But, man, it's working. Keep letting him chuck it down the field and let your let your guys go get it because they have speed. They have the big guy, Mike Williams, who's going to make plays. Yeah, he's fun, and I think he's going to be really good. And you mentioned how he was in college. I think we it's okay to say that he's gotten a lot better since college. This was not the same Justin Herbert, and it was a much different system. And I think the Chargers are doing a good job of – sort of defining his reads for him of where to go with the football. And he's actually on a really high level, man. He's fun. He's a good player. That's a good point. Like Herbert was a tricky study because of those missing areas of evaluation that you you just weren't sure about, but you knew the tools were 100% there. Uh, and like I said, he started out the first half. His placement was ridiculous to go along with the arm strength. With That's a, that's a nice one-two punch there when you have both of those. Okay, so those are the three top quarterback performances of the week. We also covered the uh, Jimmy G dud of the week. When we come back, we're going to flip sides of the ball. We're going to talk about three levels of the defense that Kyle really enjoyed some individual performance from from the week five slate. That's coming up next here on the Palpably Unfair podcast. And we are back here on the Palpably Unfair podcast. Michael Kist here with Kyle Posey. This is all brought to you by the SB Nation NFL show. So, Kyle, we did the top quarterback performances of the week. We're going to flip side. You're the defensive guy. We're going to go to three different levels here and pick out a stud from those. Let's start with the defensive line. Who was a game wrecker in week five in the trenches? Yeah, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of this player, uh, Aaron Donald, who, if you haven't watched football, is good at the sport. So <laughs> Donald had three and a half sacks, I believe, against Washington, and he came close to a couple more. And he also forced a fumble. And we talked about you know, how he was practicing new moves during the game, it seemed like, which, by the way, very disrespectful to the offensive linemen, but they were working. He's such a fun player to watch. And this week we saw, we did see dominant performances from Marcus Lawrence, Miles Garrett, and a few other guys, but I am team sacked the quarterback over pressures and Donald finished, and that matters. And I don't think I've ever seen anybody win one-on-one as much as Donald does. Or there was one where he was a split second away from a sack where he looked like if you're running back is doing a jump cut where he literally left his feet uh, to the offensive lineman. And, but Alex Smith, who somehow is still alive after Sunday, got rid of the ball too quick. Uh, there was one play where he jumped on Smith's back, but he's using chop swim moves. He's, he's just emptying his bag. And I, I seriously, which is very weird to say, Donald is somehow getting better. It, it's weird because I mentioned when, when you said Donald and I went and, and looked at his different reps, I saw, the, I saw the one, and I never see this from interior defensive linemen, but I have seen it from Donald before, and it's that cross-chop move, right? And I have it up on the timeline at Michael Kista NFL if you want to check that out. But, like, I, you don't see interior defensive linemen do that to guards and bend the edge. Like, he just, it was perfect execution. And he actually, I actually went back to see if there were clips of him doing it. He did it against the Vikings last year. And then when they did the NFL Top 100, he said that he stole it from Robert Quinn because he saw Robert Quinn like rack up almost 20 sacks in a year. He was like, yeah, I'll try that out. That is is like a like an expert level move for defensive ends. And you need like the requisite athleticism to be able to turn that after you hit the cross chop. Him doing it at his size, nobody is doing that stuff. He's just a freak, man. It's crazy. All right. If we're good on if we're good on that, let's go to the second level of the defense linebackers that stood out. Kyle, who you got? I'm gonna go with a rookie, Patrick Queen of the Ravens, who the Ravens uber aggressive system, what they do, and they just brought the house against the Bengals, who do not have a good offensive line. But Patrick Queen does not look like a first rounder this season. You saw what he could bring to the table against the Bengals. Patrick Queen finished with four stops. He also forced a fumble. He had a sack and he looked competent in coverage, which is nice. He's a really good athlete, run and chase type of guy, but he was playing smart. And as I mentioned, 
the Bengals offensive line is a sieve, but you love to see Queen just play downhill and have that wrecking ball mentality. And I hope he can keep up that style of play because it's so fun to watch that Ravens defense play when they are pinning their ears back and coming downhill and to see Queen or Queen chase the quarterback, chase Joe Burrow around, get to the running backs, and obviously make plays in space. And that's what they're going to need him to do moving forward. So it was good to see the rookie kind of turn the corner. Maybe it's one game. Hopefully he can build off this performance and keep it moving going forward. As I was doing the pre-draft process, I, I, I was like, you know, one guy that I would really love the Eagles to draft, but I know they won't because they don't value the position. And we're seeing that play out in front of our eyes this year. <laughs> Patrick Queen, right around that spot, I thought I, th- I felt would have been perfect for him to grab a guy like that. I really loved him coming out of college. He was one of my guys. I'm, I, I think he struggled a little bit a little bit early on in the year. And like you look at his PFF grades, and they're like crapping all over him. But PFF tends to do that with like year one and year two linebackers. They don't like them for some reason. I haven't seen that level of play from Queen. I've seen him much better than than the way they rank him. So I'm, I'm with you on the Queen train there. Let's go to defensive backs. Let's really break my heart Kyle who you got yeah so the Jacksonville Jaguars started a cornerback for the first time uh this guy Sidney Jones who balled out of control so they didn't win the Jacksonville Jaguars did not win but Sidney Jones looked good for Jacksonville this was first start of the season as I mentioned Jones gave up one reception for nine yards and I love ball production and he did that so he got his hands on four passes broke up three which one resulted in an interception. He also picked off another one. The how is what made Jones' game so impressive. So his first pass breakup, he undercut an over route from a condensed split from Brandon from Brandon Cooks. Great and close. he dove across his face, almost had another interception. On that play, Jones showed good awareness, closing speed, and just route recognition in general. And on his next pass breakup, Jones did a good job of coming downhill on a curl route where he kind of drove through the receiver and he finished the play, and that was where he had the interception. Uh, Watson threw a bad ball. Like yeah. The accuracy was off on that throw, but you still have to finish the play, and he dove, and it was a low pass, and he finished the play, as I mentioned. So he looked like a player that's been playing the position for years. He was confident. He was sitting on routes. He was trusting his speed, and he's not going up against slow receivers. This is against Will Fuller. This is against Brandon Cooks, like four or three guys that can flat-out fly. So that was really impressive and really encouraging for him. There was another play where he broke up a slant against Cooks where he just read the quarterback's drop. He saw Watson one, two, three, and instead of waiting, sitting his backpedal because cornerbacks, for whatever reason, get comfortable and take their read steps when they don't really have to, when they get depth, they don't have to. So it was good to see Jones just play fast, play confidence, come downhill. And there was another play. Will Fuller is running a post corner. Jones used a nice speed turn where he got his head around. And then he found the ball, tracked it, which guys have a difficult time doing on that route specifically. But he got his head head around, tipped the ball in the air to his teammate, and he intercepted it. That was honestly one of the better performances from a cornerback that we've seen all year. But the good news is the Eagles don't need a quarterback, so no harm, no foul. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, CB2 is definitely a problem. I can't tell you, other than maybe Darius Slay, a guy on the Eagles roster that can make a speed turn and then find the ball in the air, which has been a big bugaboo for him. Obviously, you know, Sidney Jones, a, a long history with the Eagles. 2018, he comes out and has a fantastic first three games, like really, really good. And then his, and then he pulls his hamstring, and then he's kind of banged up for the rest of the year. 2019, he kind of gets himself in the doghouse, and his toughness was questioned after the Minnesota Vikings game. Came in later in the year as like a one-play closer, had a huge interception on one play, had a had a big uh, pass breakup against the uh, against the Giants late in the season. Saved the season a couple times, just about. So he was really able to to, to come on there and at least show that there was something there. Uh, but then training camp this year, with the, the reason why he was cut was because th- it was his prove-it camp, 
and he was banged up the entire time and he had been banged up most of his time in Philadelphia. So obviously, you know, they needed to kind of part ways at that point. So I get why the Eagles did it, but I'm a big Sidney Jones believer. I have been for years. Go have some success and uh, and ball out, even if it's for a game. And I hope he's able to sustain that. So best of luck to Sidney Jones. Uh, some quick hitters here for me, just like looking around at what I saw from around the league. The Giants, the New York Giants, have the worst tackle duo in the league, hands down. And uh, not only on Sunday, but possibly for the season. Because Cameron Fleming, in this game alone, allowed six pressures against Dallas. The rookie, Andrew Thomas, allowed nine. I mean, watch the first drive because it could have been four combined pressures on that drive if a penalty didn't wipe one out. Uh, They're getting beat inside. They're getting beat outside. They're getting beat by everybody. Demarcus Lawrence hit a spin on Fleming in the second drive, and it looked like Fleming took a shotgun blast to the chest with how off balance he was. Next drive, Thomas gets hit with a spin that gets his quarterback killed if the guy wasn't tripped on the way in, so that doesn't register as a sack. A very next play after that, Demarcus Lawrence just runs by Thomas. like He's not even there. This strip sack return for a touchdown. Like I thought people were being hyperbolic when I saw on the timeline how bad Thomas has looked so far, but it doesn't take long in this film to figure out that he's been certified booty cheeks if you really watch him. Bottom five tackle in the league right now, and that might not be the story of his career. Plenty of guys turning around. And I thought personally coming out that he was a guy that would take a little bit longer, maybe more so than guys like Jedrick Wills from the Browns, who's playing fantastic. Same for Mekhi Becton of the Jets, Tristan Wurst of the Bucks. So I'm not giving up on that two to three year projection yet, but he's off to one of the rougher starts that you're going to see for a first round rookie tackle, Kyle. Yeah, it's tough. And he hasn't he has not played an easy schedule by any means. Right. The guys that he's gone up against. But what you want to do is you want to see some sort of improvement. You want to see not being beaten by the same moves. You want to see protecting your quarterback, doing whatever it is so Daniel Jones is not running for his life or you are not having these lookout blocks every game and that's not happening. So something has to happen. I'm not sure if they need to slide more protection his way, give him help with the running backs, but Thomas just has to play better because he's not going to go to the bench anytime soon. He has to play. He's he's a high draft pick for a reason. The talent is there, but he has to figure out to put it all together. I mean, watch Jordan Mailata of the Eagles play left tackle and then watch Andrew Thomas and you tell me which one you thought was playing football their entire life and which one just recently started playing. It's it's a total reversal, man. So definitely uh, uh, some bad offensive tackle play in Dallas or in, in New York, which is hurting their uh, quarterback, Daniel Jones, who is playing uh, pretty terribly as well. Uh, real quick, we might as well keep it in the NFC East for a second. Real quick on uh, Dallas rookie wide receiver CeeDee Lamb. Uh, you know, we can really overthink these wide receivers in the pre-draft process, right? Like, He's not a burner. His yaks because he's in the Big 12. He's not special at anything. Blah, 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 blah. Dude is good at football. And and beyond that, he's tougher than hell working out of the slot. Like, he had two catches over the middle where he took shots. One got a dessert flag for targeting, and he hung in tough and hauled it in. Eight catches, 124 yards on the day. His second 100-yard uh, game uh, in a stacked receiver room because Michael Gallup, the best wide receiver too in the league probably and you're also dealing with Amari Cooper not a lot of food to go around in that offense and Kyle what, what did you think of the people that say the Cowboys really aren't losing much by having to rely on the red rocket Andy Dalton now because Lamb Gallup and Cooper may all see a hit in their production moving forward because of that yeah so I'm that's the perfect way to describe CD by the way he's a tough cookie like those throws over the middle of the field he's turning his back against the defender, against an oncoming safety to catch the ball, knowing you're going to take a big lick, still hangs on, still is willing to extend to make the catch. Yeah. Like That is saying a lot for a rookie. He is so damn good, and he's going to only get so much better. But with that said, there is going to be a steep drop-off. Like Dak is one of the 
smartest pre-snap quarterbacks that I've seen this year. And I I have always struggled evaluating Dak, but just watching what what he's done to that offense this year and putting them in positions, like those throws to Lamb, unreal. Yeah. There's no you cannot name five other quarterbacks that are going to even attempt those throws. Like he's he's throwing Lamb open. So that's that's going to be his challenge for Dalton to to see moving forward. But I don't know, man. I don't know if he's going to be able to keep up that pace. The good news is they are stacked. They are loaded with talent. So there's no real reason that Dalton shouldn't be able to make those plays or at least keep Dallas in some sort of, you know, 20, 30 point range. But man, Dak, uh, it sucks that he got hurt. He's so good. Yeah, dude, uh, a very uh, uh, depressing stuff happening on Sunday. And I, and I think Dallas, I think what, what people are kind of missing too is Dallas's offensive tackles being so banged up. Tyron Smith's out for the year. Yeah. You're losing that that pocket mobility, that escape ability that Dak has. Like a- Andy Dalton's not anywhere near on that level with his legs like Dak is. And like you said, Dak's one of the smartest pre-snap dudes in the game. So I I can't believe people are saying that they're not going to miss much. I I. I don't know what to attribute that to, but I have an idea. Kyle, any, anything else you want to hit on before uh, before we get the heck on out of here? I think we did the thing. Oh, actually, let's hit on this because the game that we are watching right now has pretty much come to a conclusion. It is 35 to 16. Tennessee Titans are going to roll to 4-0 and while the Bills fall to 4-1. Four and, four and one. It was a big test for the Bills. Look, they beat the Rams earlier in the season. This is another test. It's not the end of the world. I still think they're a very good football team. I want to see how Josh Allen ba- uh, bounces back from this because he's been absolutely mind-blowing fantastic this year. Definitely took a step back in this one. The Titans grind another one out. They just dominate this one, man. Bell the bell. Any any takeaways from this? I know we've been kind of like recording the whole time and everything like that, so I get it if you don't have a big take, but it's it's a big win for the Titans. The Titans just seem like they win these type of games. Like a lot of people expected the Bills to kind of run away with this one just because the Titans were off for a while and they haven't really had the time to practice just with all the COVID stuff. But man, they, they don't really seem to make mistakes. And when yeah. you are that type of team, you feed off other teams' mistakes and they actually just scored another touchdown. So now it's 41 to 16. So yeah, what, what Tannehill stats are like 21 of 26 right now? Yeah, he's not being in position to make um, to make mistakes. So when they can get ahead of the game script like that and you get Derrick Henry. So that last drive, they are in their four minute offense. When they can do that, you have to tackle Derrick Henry. Come on, man. That's not going to happen. And he's just getting so 21 from 28, 21 to 28 right now for 195 yards, three touchdowns in this game. And Henry on that the last couple of drives, he's just going downhill, downhill, yep. downhill where you want to get you want to get a stop and go three yards to try to you know get the ball back. But he's getting he's ripping off like six yards. Their offensive line's good. Uh, just an opportunistic defense, too. So it'll be interesting to see if if Tennessee is for real or not. I'm not sure the Bills defense was in question, though, and they kind of got you know picked apart here. I saw this point on Twitter that somebody made, and I can't remember who it is, but I thought it was really good. Like, you hear coaches all the time, coach speak, saying, we want to build a tough team. I think the Titans have built a roster that from from player to player, all 53, are just tough as nails. That's super rare to build a team out like that, and I think that's why they can compete with with literally any team in the NFL. We don't think of them as like a top tier, like top one, top two type team. But they could play with those teams like they hung in with the Kansas City Chiefs and gave them their best punch in the, in the playoffs. They they beat up on the Baltimore Ravens like maybe we are underselling just that the, the culture, I guess, that they built there. The mindset like it gets annoying because of all the first and second down runs early in the game that don't work. But when they want to shove it down your throat 
at the end of a game, it's really effective. Ryan Tannehill's playing really good football. Uh, the defense showed up today for him, so a big win for the Titans. Good on him. Kyle, uh, anything else for the gentle listeners before we get out of here? No, Vrabel's just a good coach, and he has them well-prepared, and that does matter. All right, so that is going to do it for the Palpably Unfair podcast, episode number six, brought to you by the SB Nation NFL Show. Remember, leave those five-star ratings and reviews in Apple Podcasts. Write a review. Say you were following directions. Whatever you got to do, put it in there. It really helps the feed if you enjoyed what you heard. Make sure you're subscribed. All that good stuff. We thank you for joining us here, here on the Pupcast. We will catch you next week. In the meantime, go dominate and have yourselves a day.